Hey, just a quick note before we start the show. This episode was recorded prior to the announcement of Dr. Russell Moore's departure from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. So the following conversation actually reflects his former position as the ERLC's president. All right, on to the episode. He said, one of the problems I think that you have is that you have something that is a strength and is also a weakness, which is a really keen sense of intuition. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Ineacast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and this season is all about the Enneagram at work. And today, we come to the end of the heart triad with type four, the originalists, the best number on the Enneagram. The best number after three and before five on the Enneagram. <laughs> so we're going to be taking a look at some of the ways that fours relate and operate in a work setting and how fours can bring their true self to the workplace and we're also going to have some tips for how to get along with a type 4 coworker. So, if you have a coworker who is a type 4, make sure you stick around for those tips. All right, Lindsay, where do we start? Well, we're going to start with the five truths about work that we looked at in episode 46. So, just as a reminder, those five things are work starts with God, work is good, work serves a greater purpose, and work is not the way it should be, but that work is redeemed through the gospel. Okay, so in light of all that, let's dive into Type 4, The Originalist at Work. Okay, so the first truth in talking about work is that number one, work starts with God. And here's what that means. All the types reflect a certain aspect of God's character, and fours reflect God's creativity and depth. You can know this. If you've got fours in your workplace, it's going to be an interesting, off-the-beaten-path sort of workplace, but people are also going to be emotionally real, and they're going to want to talk about deep, important things. Absolutely. And this reflection is part of what we call our true self, and it can show itself in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and that leads us naturally into truth number two, which is that work is good. So God created work to be a good thing, and we see he also created fours as a good thing, and they are complete and whole in their true self. When fours are healthy, they reflect this goodness at work. So let's talk about some of the good things a four can bring to their workplace, like natural creativity. Fours are very creative, and even if a job is not explicitly creative, they will find a way to make it their own and to bring their own flair and originality to whatever they're doing. Yeah. So if you imagine that whatever the task is, there's sort of these beaten paths of, you know, history. This is always how it's done. The four naturally sort of has a trailblazing attitude. And mm -hmm. so they do. They bring a fresh perspective into things. Also, they're attuned to people's emotional needs. Fours read the emotions of others. And so they want to know, where are you emotionally? What is it that you're going through? When they're healthy, they can be great encouragers, especially when it comes to emotions that many of us maybe label as bad or problematic. The four is going to affirm, hey, that's a part of life. That's a part of this, this experience that we're all doing together. Yes. I love that about fours because 
Several numbers are attuned to other people's needs and feelings, but fours will specifically notice if you're having a bad day or if you're going through some sort of suffering and you have to come to work anyway, they are going to be those people who are completely happy to just sit with you in silence at the break room, you know, and just know you're not alone. Like I'm right here with you. Mm-hmm. And part of that goes into their other gifts, which is that they seek authenticity. So if it's bad, they want to say it's bad. If it's good, they want to say it's good because they are so authentic to themselves and they want other people to be that way, too. So you don't usually have to wonder how a four is feeling. They're not going to fake it. They are not going to wear a mask. They want to be known for their true self. Yeah, the emotions kind of sit a little towards the surface. Yeah. And so it's it's a little faster to find. Yeah, and finally, they produce, you know, high-quality work. Uh, fours, like, we have, we have some good taste. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. We, we do. We just, we really like quality, beautiful things. Mm-hmm. So when we put our hands on something, we want it to be great. You know, I think about our producer, Rachel Zabo. Like, if you listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast, often it's described as high on empathy and high on its production quality. Mm. Like, what does that sound like? That (laughs) sounds sounds like like a four. four. Yeah, that's so true. They're dreamers, but they can also bring those dreams into reality so we can all experience them. Yeah. That's great. So work starts with God and work is good. So let's move on to truth number three, which is that work serves a greater purpose. And what is that purpose? Relationships. All of life is relational. So even when you want to use your workplace to share the gospel, it has to start with building relationships. Yeah, yeah. You know, a common relationship that we do see in the workplace is that between a supervisor and supervisees. Let's talk a little bit about how a four might relate to that relational dynamic. And, you know, just as with everything, fours can be a little hard to nail down on this one. Sometimes they may prefer to be the supervisor, but other times they prefer to be supervised. They can enjoy the mystique and the mystery of not being the one who's like right at the front. And at the same time, we also don't particularly love being told exactly what to do. We like to have a pretty high level of autonomy. And so, you know, as supervisors... We can bring a lot of passion to the goal and we can really make an effort, you know, to connect with the folks that we're leading. So what I hear you saying is that fours just need to run their own gigs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Do their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. So when they are the ones being supervised, they will perform well. They bring helpful insight. They can help you dream as long as they feel supported and understood. But if they feel unappreciated, things might become difficult. Yeah. If fours are not in a healthy place. Place, they can really just kind of be contrarian. Mm. They're challenging to lead. Yeah. Okay, so the first three truths are, number one, work starts with God. Number two, work is good. And number three, work serves a greater purpose. So all of these truths show us that fours have so many good qualities that they bring to the work environment. So many. But (laughs) anyone who's ever received a paycheck knows work is not always good. It's not always ideal. And that brings us to truth number four, which is that work is not the way that it should be. Because of sin, everything is affected by brokenness, including our work. And for fours, that means that not only can they bring their true self to work, but their false self also comes along with them. You know, a lot of the false self for the four comes out in the form of their deadly sin, which is envy, or their idol, which is being unique. So let's talk a little bit about some of the specific ways that this sin, this false self, how it shows up at work. 
So first, they can really take their team on an emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. What version of this four am I going to get today? Are they going to be like super thrilled and they're like high on a mountain? Are they going to be down in the dumps? For those who know Enneagram, like our moodiness is how we control people. And so being moody in a workplace becomes a way for us to sort of stay in control. But that can be really, really tiresome for your coworkers. Right. I mean, and if you listen to the last episode about the type three, we know they just want to come to work to do work. Yeah. So that can be such a roller coaster for them to feel like I have to go through all your emotions every time I come into the workplace. Mm-hmm. So also they internalize negative criticism and correction. And then they can tend to reject positive feedback. So whenever you tell them something, maybe that they're doing wrong or that something's not possible, you know, that they've dreamed up, that can really feel personal, like their identity takes a hit. But then when you praise them, that doesn't feel genuine. It You're doesn't just being stick. nice. You're just yeah. being nice. Yeah. You're not really authentically thinking. The true things. part was the negative thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, there are times where fours just don't complete their tasks. Either they're so focused on, I need to make this totally different than it has ever been done in human history or because they just get bored. They're just bored and they they get distracted and they're moving on to the next thing and they just start missing deadlines because, you know, they either are trying to make it amazing or they think it's not really worth their efforts. Yeah. And then they can become bitter or envious of those that they perceive as better than they are. That's the envy piece for Forrest is they think they have something missing that other people have or that they are broken in a really unique way, you know, that they look at other people's successes and it feels like something negative about themselves. Yeah. Our producer, Rachel Zabo, and I, we have to be careful about how often we talk about other people's podcasts because mm-hmm. we can get a little critical yeah. at times. And it's and the truth is that it does come at a certain level. There's insecurity in it. It's like I'm tearing that down to feel better about what it is that we create. Right. You know, another way that we see this false self manifest at work is through our stress era. Work can often be stressful. And when a four gets stressed, they can actually move into the two space. So, Lindsay, what does that look like? So whenever a four, an unhealthy four, is going to the two on the low side, that can look like manipulation in order to get their needs met, in order to feel appreciated and special. They can become more intrusive, more dependent on the people around them. Yeah, the other part that I think about, too, is that they get into this codependent space where it's like they become emotionally enmeshed with somebody else. And according to how that person's responding to them day by day, hour by hour, the four is rising and falling and rising and falling. And so the four can become addicted to like, I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love them. You know, there's almost this like adoration, you know, that they give themselves away to this other person. And then, of course, that person lets us down because they're not Jesus. And then we take it all back and then we kind of go mope. Yeah. But they can use that stress arrow to get healthy tools for themselves as well. And so we talked about the two and the four are both highly relational. The twos focus all that energy outward and the fours turn a lot of that energy inward. And so for the four to get a healthy tool from the two, they can take some of that introspection and they can turn it outward and look at their teammates and see, how can I help a coworker? You know, what is something that I can do to serve somebody else? And like we said at the top, that they're really good at empathizing with people who are going through hard things. So they can easily turn from their inward criticism or insecurity and go and be an empathetic ear for a coworker. 
Yeah, so if you want to know more about stress and how to handle it well, go back and listen to episode number 42, which is all about the Enneagram and stress. So far, we've seen that work starts with God. Work is good. It serves a greater purpose, but it isn't the way it's supposed to be. So the question is, how do we get back to the original design that God created? Okay, well, the answer is in the fifth and final truth, which is that work is redeemed through the gospel. You know, each type has a particular message that God speaks to them. It's a message of both forgiveness and healing. And we talked about this at length in season three. But the message that God speaks to the four is this. You are known and loved for exactly who you are. Psalms 139 says, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. And the rest of that chapter just goes on about all the ways that God knew you as you were being formed. He knows all your days and he's with you. So for us to know that there's nothing missing, there's nothing broken, and you are known to your very core. Mm -hmm. So when a four learns to hear and accept this message in their work, it frees them to grow into their virtue and step back into their true self in Christ. Yeah. You know, a lot of Enneagram teachers, they really emphasize that the virtue is the goal. Like, We've got this huge problem in our personality. If we would just become virtuous, then that would fix everything. But as Christians, that act, that's not what we believe. What we believe is that we encounter Jesus, and through encountering Jesus, we encounter the gospel in, embodied in him, but also that he speaks over us. And so the virtue then becomes the outward expression of this inward change that happens because mm. of Jesus. And the virtue for the four, they begin to display equanimity. They begin to display emotional balance. I react with just the right amount of emotional response. Not too little, not too much. I respond as the situation requires. Mm, That balance. Yeah. So the question is, how do fours lean into this virtue at work? And that leads us into the final segment of our teaching today, which is tips for types. Our first four tips are for the type fours. Number one, lean into your growth arrow, which is the fabulous, the one and only type (laughs) ones. (laughs) You seem biased. A little bit. So whenever a four goes to the one, they are just taking those tools of organization, getting things done. Ones are big doers. So if you find yourself leaning a little too heavily on the dreaming, you can take tools from the one and become organized and efficient and get stuff done. Yeah, not the idea of change, but actually bringing true change into the world, measurable change. Yes. Tip number two, cultivate endurance in the midst of melancholy. You know, probably of all the types, we have the broadest array of emotional experience. Mm -hmm. So when that melancholy just comes out of nowhere or that depression comes out of nowhere and it really hits you, change your environment. Don't isolate. Get outside. Put some instrumental music on. Take a 10-minute stretching break. Get in your body. Have a conversation with somebody. But you want to cultivate grit and endurance to keep going so that your melancholy doesn't just shut you down. Mm, I really like that. I think that's helpful for many of us. Yeah. I think that's really great. And the other thing is this, is like, we're not saying don't feel melancholic, but we're saying sitting in your melancholy at work is probably not the appropriate and healthy place to do that. 
That's why you have friends and you have other people that support you. Not to say you can't have a hard season of life, but you don't need to come into work and then go, what do I feel? What do I feel? What do I feel? That's probably not the most appropriate and healthy place to ask that question. Yeah. You can have your melancholy in your pocket and still show up to work and get some things done. Yeah. Number three is follow the protocol put in place by your organization. So just remember, your uniqueness does not excuse you from the rules and the procedures. And sometimes it's really healthy for fours to do the ordinary. So Suzanne Stabile always says fours need to shop at Kroger instead of Whole Foods. Yeah. Because there is some health to be found in just those mundane things. Like you have to check your email. You have to respond to your emails. You have to follow the protocols mm-hmm. for certain tasks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And finally, number four. Find thankfulness at work. Mm. Gratitude. I mean, there are so many gram teachers that literally say that the virtue for fours isn't even equanimity. It's actually gratitude. Yeah. Thankfulness is just central for us to be able to live the life that God is inviting us into. Have you ever stopped and considered all the things that are good at your work and actually written those down, said those out loud, rehearsed those things in your mind and heart, and thank God for those things? You know, what would it look like to find something to be grateful for at work every day and every week? Mm -hmm. And you guys are so good at that because you see beauty everywhere. So if you can remember to look up and see that beauty it's part of your gifting already. Yeah, it's easier to look at our shoes. But yeah, we're, we're, we got to work belly on looking button. up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so those are some tips for type four, but relationships go both ways. So if you're not a four, but you have a type four coworker, here are four tips for you to help you relate to fours. Number one, acknowledge their feelings, but don't be swayed by them. So it's great if you see something going on with your type four coworker. You can just talk about it. You can be upfront with them. They're not scared to talk about their emotions, but you don't have to ride the roller coaster. It's okay to keep yourself in your own lifeboat and not jump into theirs. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, emotions are intense, and the four can sometimes get carried away with those. Sometimes they just need you to be a little bit of an anchor. Let yeah. them get tossed around by the waves a little bit, but it doesn't mean that you have to get tossed around too. Tip number two, don't offer easy solutions to quick fixes. Fours will experience that as very inauthentic. You're not honoring, you know, the things that they're feeling. Don't just tell them to look on the bright side. They will label you as like a bumper sticker. When something's hard is going on, don't just reduce it to something kind of quippy and easy. Honor the fact that they're sharing something with you. Life is hard. And there are times where we just need to honor that by sitting in it. And after you've sat in that for a minute, then encouragement can come in time. But if you just right out of the gate, you come out hardcore and like, you know, joy, 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 joy. Mm -hmm. That's not going to be received real well. Yeah, it's not going to do any good. All right. Number three, tell them that they are loved and appreciated and use words. Don't just think that your actions display that to them. Really tell them how their presence, how their contributions to work are unique and really appreciated in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Words of affirmation mean a lot for a four. Also consider writing it down. Give Give them a note. Fours love anything that's been handmade. And that includes a handwritten note. So if you want to handwrite a note, a word of encouragement, I've got a stack of them in my desk Mm -hmm. and I just hold on to them because there are days where I just need those. Finally, tip number four, find ways to bring levity into the day. Fours, we are so deep and we are like, let's get real. But at the same time, we need to have some fun. And so it's important to bring a little lightness, a little joy, a little levity into the day. Here at LTN, 
we have a lot of four energy on our staff. Yeah. And so what do we do? For years, we have played games at lunchtime, and it's a way for us to laugh together and to remember it's not all sadness. There's a lot of goodness in the world. So find ways to bring laughter into your workplace. Okay, so that is our overview of Type 4s at work. Stay with us because when we come back, we'll be talking with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission's president, Dr. Russell Moore, about being a Type 4 at work. Stay with us. Hey, it's Anna, the media editor. Recently, I've been taking some time to ask our alumni how serving with Love Thy Neighborhood has impacted their lives. My name is Alec, and I'm from Johnson City, Tennessee. Before coming to LTN, Alec said that his faith was nearing a breaking point. He wasn't sure where his life was heading, and none of the options in front of him made much sense. I developed a sense of community that was so strong and rich, vulnerable and intimate, that I felt safe for the first time in a long while to share the things that were really bothering me at the depths of my soul. Through LTN, my faith grew into something that has the power to engage others who are also struggling and uncertain. If you want to find your internship where social action and Christian community meet, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. That's lovethyneighborhood.org. Welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Our guest today is Dr. Russell Moore. Dr. Moore is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's the author of several books, including Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel, and The Storm-Tossed Family, How the Cross Reshapes the Home. He's married to his wife, Maria, and they are the parents of five sons, and he is a four on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Dr. Moore. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Well, let's start here. Tell us a little bit about your job and talk to us a little bit about the nature of your work environment. Well, the job that I have is essentially to do two things. One of them is to lead an organization to equip people to think through the full range of of ethical decision making. So everything from living wills and end of life questions to racial reconciliation and justice to marriage and family all of all of the issues that would fall under ethics or morality or or virtue or those sorts of of questions and then secondly to speak out to the rest of the world so i do a lot of work with government with media with culture makers sort of tech industry artists and others most of whom are unbelievers and sometimes are are people for whom I'm the only Christian that they ever talk to uh, at all. So that's sort of the big picture of what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And then what about the team that surrounds you? You know, how many folks are a part of your team? And I'm going to assume you're, you're leading all of these folks. Yeah. We have a team that it sort of goes between 30 and 40 folks generally at the full-time capacity. Can you, as a four, let us know if there was anything that really resonated to you in the teaching today? Yes, uh, quite a bit. Someone pointed this out to me. I was talking to someone who had been working with CEOs of, of all sorts for a long time. And he said, he said, one of the problems I think that you have is that you have something that is a strength and is also a weakness, which is a really keen sense of intuition. Mm in the sense that you can kind of read uh, somebody's 
character and authenticity and so forth pretty well. Not infallibly. I've made, I've made plenty of mistakes <laughs> in both directions there. But pretty well. And that works well for me when it comes to, for instance, hiring. Almost everybody that I've ever hired, I would hire again. And so I, I think I've had a pretty good assessment of people's abilities and future trajectories and, and, and what have you. But that carries a, a real negative with it, which is that often I'll get a, a negative read on somebody that usually turns out to be, <laughs> unfortunately turns out to be accurate, but it's very hard for me to pretend that I don't have that read. Yeah. You know, for you personally, you know, you're in a role now where you're leading the RLC. And do you prefer to be in leadership or do you prefer to be under someone else's leadership? You know, I was thinking about that question while you were talking, and I don't know that I know the answer to that because I've been in situations that have been both positive and negative in both of them. Um, And so I don't think the question is as much whether I prefer to supervise or to be supervised. It's, It's a question of in what way. I can think of a situation where I was supervised really early on in ministry that was great because the person who was supervising me, I was serving on the staff of a church, sort of knew who I was and what it is that he wanted. So he did have a really good read on on what my gift sets were. And he was willing to give me direction and give me sort of what his expectations were, but without micromanaging while at the same time not having a lot of mystery as to what the expectations were. And it just happened to, to hit just right. And what I found in terms of supervising is that one of the great blessings that I've had is I tend to have people, um, a, a lot of the people who serve with me have been with me for 15 years. You know, Many of them started out as interns and then worked their way up. So they have a really good read on me and, um, and, and sort of who I am. And I have a really good read on them. And so it, it creates not just trust, although there certainly is that, but it also creates a, a really seamless sort of working uh, environment where you don't have to sort of sit down and rehearse. Here are all the reasons why we're doing things this way or that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It seems like for's benefit from receiving what they also give, you know, that they need someone who has that intuitive sense and who will let them loose to use their gifts, but then also help shepherd them along the way. And then you guys bring that later in life to the people under you as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Dr. Moore, can you tell us where do you tend to see your true self showing up at work? What do you feel like you bring to the table with your team? I think that what I bring to the table is, you know, I've, I've heard someone, and I don't even remember who, use this metaphor before about fours, that they're sort of deep sea divers, that they, they go down uh, underneath the, the, the ocean and then they swim back up with whatever they found down there for everyone else. And I do think that that's, that's sort of what I bring to uh, the tables. I'm able to process things internally um, in a way that can shape them and form them and and bring about insights that way. And one of the ways that I can see that 
is that often, um, and, and we hate cliches, and this is a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true, that sometimes I will not know what I think until I read myself, write it, or until I hear myself um, articulating it in you know a teaching context or, or, or something like that because I sort of am forced then to see all sorts of things that actually have been going on under the surface, but that I haven't been aware of. And sometimes I can even see that there will be decisions that I will make in my life where it will feel to me as though I've suddenly made that decision. But then when I go back and I read things that I've been writing or, or saying up to that point, I can I can see, well, wait a minute. No, you actually were processing all of this <laughs> ahead of time. And, and I can see now how the thought process was happening, but I, I did, wasn't aware of it at the time. All of that language is very artistic. You know how we would hear an artist talk about making something and writing something. Mm -hmm. And I don't think many people would assume an artist's temperament would go into theology and ethics, but it's been such a blessing to the world to have you doing those deep dives and then bringing it up and curating it for the masses. Yeah, I got to say, like, as a Southern Baptist myself, <laughs> a four, Southern Baptist four, it can be a strange camp at times. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's always, it's like, it's very comforting to go like, well... We got Dr. We've Moore. Got Dr. Like, like, Moore. like he's 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 bringing some of that creative thought in. Well, you know, I think generally, I, I was having a conversation uh, the other day. Have a a group of guys we get together and and do a, a book club. And one of the people in the book club is a visual artist, and one of them is a research scientist. And uh, the visual artist was talking about how hard it is for a lot of artists to be able to connect with the church because it feels so cerebral and syllogistic uh, for them. And the scientist was saying how hard it is that a lot of, they lose a lot of scientists uh, to the church because they feel that it's anti-intellectual and sort of emotional. And I remember thinking, wow, I mean, what, what has happened that these, these two completely opposite thinking sets <laughs> both kind of feel alienated from the church for what seemed to be completely opposite reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been thinking about that a lot over the last week or so since that happened. Yeah, yeah. So the gospel message for the four is you are seen and loved for exactly who you are. In what ways do you see or have you applied this message at work? I've said to my team uh, quite a bit, there's a sense sometimes where it's hard to recognize that we're talking to people who aren't right in front of us right now. And so I think about that a lot because I was a 15-year-old who was in the middle of a serious sort of spiritual crisis and seeing some really ugly and corrupt things in Bible Belt Christianity. And I came through that by God's grace because I was able to read writings from C.S. Lewis and to find my way to Christianity today and read uh, people such as Philip Yancey and J.I. Packer and, and, and people like that um, in a way that they would have never known, uh, obviously, that they were going to be addressing a 15-year-old Southern Baptist kid in crisis in the 1980s. And often what I'm saying to my team is we're actually talking to people who sometimes feel very alone and who don't know that anybody is is out there and we're actually showing them there there are people here who understand you 
and who are, are speaking to you. Having gone through that and knowing that, and then having uh, communities that come together in really unexpected ways, um, I think I kind of bring that uh, to, to our conversation constantly. Hmm. So one of the ways that fours really can live into equanimity is through their growth arrow. And, you know, the growth arrow for the four is to go to the one. And so it's like it's not lost on me that your literal occupation puts you in the growth arrow. Like your actual job is to think about the ethics and truth, but not just cognitively, but in terms of like bringing real action, real tangible goodness into the world. How are you all as an organization, are you personally living into that calling of bringing good reformation into the world? Well, I think that when I am at my best, it's when I am actually uh, saying things the way that I see them. And one of the things I'm really sort of temperamentally unable to do is to say things the opposite of the way that I see them. And, you know, that that's that's actually what's often expected of someone in this world, is to say things that kind of fit whatever the party line is or whatever people wish were the case. And I just, I can't do that without um, a sense of um, violated conscience and self-loathing. I, I, I'm temperamentally unequipped to, to do that, even if I thought it were morally right. I don't. Um, so I'm, I'm best when I'm, I'm actually putting out there, here is the way that I see things. You don't have to agree with me, but even if you disagree with me, I want us to have an honest conversation about things the, the way that they are. And I'm at my best when that's the case. I'm at my worst when what I'm thinking is, I'm just not sure that I have the energy to go through whatever it is that that might come uh, as a as a result of this and so it's not that i'm gonna pretend otherwise it's just where i just say is this even worth uh the effort mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when have others at work helped you live into the gospel message and your true self like how have your coworkers um and the people that you work with um help you to see more of who you really are in christ well, again, I think one of the uh, one of the reasons is because we have a mix of people, some of whom have have worked with me uh, essentially all of their adult lives, and then others who have come in uh, more recently. And I think that that balance is always good because I have to. There's enough trust and understanding that you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to rehearse everything that it, that is going on, but you also have enough kind of newness and influx that you do have to uh, you, you do have to sort of recast the vision and explain things. And I think the balance of that tends to work um, tends to work well with me. And then also having a network of people who are outside of work in terms of day to day work but that I can bounce ideas off of and, and draw from uh, creatively. Mm, beautiful. Love it. Okay. Well, we've had good conversation, uh, but we also have, you know, the leader of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission on the line. So let's put some of his <laughs> ethics to the test when we come back. So we're going to play a game. So stick with us. We're going to play If You Had To with Dr. Russell Moore. We'll be back. 
On today's episode of the Cast, we're exploring Type 4, the originalist at work. You know, a healthy four is good at giving encouragement and they're not afraid of having hard conversations. These qualities are great in the workplace, but also in mentoring relationships to help guide the next generation of leaders. To learn more about the next generation and how you can help them thrive, check out our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 33, where the gospel meets emerging adulthood. I think in worlds past, the road to adulthood was much more linear. I just was miserable and depressed and anxious. This isn't happening the same way that it used to. I remember moving in and thinking like, what the heck have I done? That was a moment that I became an adult and nobody else was gonna do it and was gonna be there for me. You can subscribe to the Love That Neighborhood podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. That's lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Welcome back to the Unicast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. And now, if you had to... Okay, our game today is called If You Had To, and here's how it works. Lindsay and I both have a set of cards with different terrible or unpleasant scenarios on them. For each round, we're going to present you with a scenario, and out of those two scenarios, you have to choose which one you would rather do. But before you choose, we will each get to sabotage the other person's scenario with another card, making it even more terrible. So we'll give you the scenarios, then we'll sabotage, then you'll have to make your choice. Uh, Whichever scenario you pick, that person gets a point. We'll play three rounds. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. That will be me. Are you all ready to play? (laughs) Yep. I'm ready. Okay, Lindsay, ladies first. Okay, so if you had to yell, fire, 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 every time you enter a room. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, or if you had to make a balloon animal for everyone that you meet. <laughs> okay, so he would have to make a balloon animal for everybody. He'd have to make a balloon animal for everyone he met. Okay, and he is radioactive. So you're saying that... He has to make balloon animals while also being radioactive. Oh, that's serious. That's a condition. Yeah. I think that... I am already radioactive, but... <laughs> okay, what was it Fire, again? fire, fire. Okay, so you uh, would have to say fire, fire, fire every time you entered a room, and also you can't turn left. That would make you all. so unique. It, fire, fire, fire for sure, yeah. So, so... Can you say it again for the record? <laughs> I, I would choose yelling fire, fire, fire and not being able to turn left before I would be making radioactive balloon animals. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, Lindsay, you get me. a point. You get a point. Okay. So, Russell, if you had to uh, be Amish and on the FBI's most wanted list <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> At least it's a good place to hide. Okay. Or if you had to run a small business, but all of your employees are talking swans. Oh, that's bizarre. (laughs) Okay. If you had to run a small business and all your employees are talking swans, but you also had no depth perception. Mm, That would be annoying. 
But if you were Amish and on the FBI's most wanted most list. wanted list, and you also had a beard made of bees, and you would have a beard because you would be Amish. Yeah, I I, I would run the small business, and I actually think the talking swans would be a plus. I yes. <laughs> so Jesse, what I'm hearing is you have no hope of winning. Uh, can we do this one double or nothing? Is that that help no. us? No. Lindsay's <laughs> like, no. Then I'm a chance of not winning. winning. Okay. All right, Lindsay. All right. If you had to have an incurable disease that is slowly turning you into a garden gnome. (laughs) (laughs) You can diagnose that later, whatever that is. Okay, if you had to uh, assemble an entire warehouse of Ikea furniture, that alone sounds awful. It does sound awful. It does sound awful. I'd take the garden gnome uh, any day. I'm I'm not entirely sure that I'm not a garden gnome. (laughs) (laughs) So if you were, what was yours? Ikea furniture. Yeah, assemble an entire warehouse of Ikea furniture. And you had three-foot fingernails. Oh, gross. <laughs> okay, or uh, what, what was An incurable yours? disease turning you into oh, a gnome. Oh, yeah, if you had an incurable disease that was turning you into a garden gnome, but also you were made of glue. <laughs> what? Made was of glue? Made yeah. of glue. I'd still choose the garden gnome. Yes. I'd, yeah. Man. Three. Three for three. <laughs> three to nothing. Well, congratulations to you, Lindsay, and Dr. Moore. We hope a doctor can help you with those issues. <laughs> well, I hope so. But even if not, I will never be assembling IKEA furniture in any circumstances. So. <laughs> okay, and now it's time for listener questions. Okay, this first question comes from K.E. Brown. How do you ground a four when they have tons of ideas? Um, I, I think that if if you choose, um, I mean, it's one thing if there are ideas that are bad, um, but if you can find the idea that that works the best and kind of do the old improv tactic of yes and, and, and try to build from that, I think you can ground, ground a four. Yeah. Mm, I like that. All right, our next question is from Chandra Quinn. How do I help a four know that their work is excellent, even if it seems routine to them? Yeah, that's hard. And I, I think the way to do that is to find whatever aspect you can of the work that actually isn't routine, that that person is bringing a, a part of himself or herself to it. So if you're able to say, um, you, you know, you, this isn't just typical filing or whatever it is that, that it is, you've actually changed the way filing is done in this way, if that's true. And, and to encourage that, I think that that can work. Okay, this question comes from Kayla16. When my boss suggests that I delegate or hire out a job, I feel like they doubt my ability to do the job. What should I do? Yeah, I think with a four, the way that you do that is to say, I'm doing this so that I can free you up to do more of whatever it is that that person is uniquely equipped to bring when that's the case. And it almost always is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think about what you said earlier where you were talking about that sometimes people think you're a machine like that. It can just be interview after interview or meeting after meeting. But like a four requires space in order to to generate, reflect, to uh, 
you know, to bring together all of their various inspirational ideas into something that's digestible for others. Like that all requires space. So if you have a boss that's saying, hey, let's take part of your job and delegate that out, I would encourage you actually to receive that as a gift. That's actually a sign that your boss is saying, you're bringing something wonderful to the table that we want more of. This other thing is taking up parts of you that uh, aren't as helpful. Yeah. And that's going to require a boss who knows how to communicate that to be able to say, no, what I'm doing is not saying I want to get rid of this part of Jesse Eubanks and to delegate it to somebody else. What I'm saying is I really need Jesse Eubanks, which means I don't want to, I don't want to diminish this part that we really need. Yeah. All right. Our last question is from Solo and Sweats. What do I do when my job starts to feel rote and I start longing for something else? What's the difference between the spirit nudging me in a different direction and my simple four longings? That is a really hard question. And I, uh, if I knew the answer to that, I would, <laughs> I would be in a much different place. I think one of the problems for fours, or at least it's a problem for me, is that when I'm seeking outside counsel, I don't trust the outside counsel because I feel like I may have put my thumb on the scale because what I often think is to say, yeah, but all you know is really what I told you. And I'm really persuasive. And w- what if I left out things um, in order to, to present a particular picture and it's a false picture? It kind of then becomes a hall of mirrors. And so it's, it's really difficult. I think the, the main thing is to look at it over a period of time so that if you find yourself just kind of in a moment where you're thinking, oh, I would be better off if I were doing something else, then maybe don't put a lot of weight on that. But if you find yourself over a period of a long period of time, you're drawn to one specific thing and that keeps showing up in your mind. And then you start talking to people that you trust and they're, um, they're, they're also kind of encouraging that, then take it seriously. Yeah, I resonate so much with all of that. I fully agree in terms of the combination of time and community. Also say this, like looking for themes, like are there themes that keep coming up in conversation? Are there themes to the plot that God has been writing with your life over these years? And is this like the next point in the plot that some on some level makes logical sense? Um, not to say that God doesn't do crazy, surprising things, but I think that there's something about let's just kind of sit in this. Let's think about this, you know, but if that longing especially comes from a place of like deep discontentment to where it's turning towards a bitterness for where you are, that's a different thing. Dreaming is one thing, but if those dreams cause you to have sort of a poisonous disposition to your present, then I would challenge that that's probably not the spirit talking. Yeah. And also, if you think about, I mean, one of the things we're always warned about as fours is is living in fantasy world. But I think you also can pay attention to where your fantasies are going. So if, you're, if your fantasies are kind of going toward doing what you're doing now, but maybe doing it in a different way, as opposed to you're consistently sort of imagining what it would be if you were doing something completely different, I would pay attention to that. It's not infallible, but I'd pay attention to it. Yeah, those are good words. Well, Russell, thank you so much for your time today. This has been really great. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's been fun to, to talk with you both. Thanks to our special guest today, Dr. Russell Moore. For more from Dr. Moore, including podcasts, videos, and books, check out his website, 
russellmore.com. Also, if you're looking for how to navigate the culture in a biblical way, check out the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. They always have tons of resources that you can access all for free, and you can find that at erlc.com. Teaching content for this episode comes from Crosspoint Ministry, Beatrice Chestnut, and Kim Eddy. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was edited by Rachel Zabo, Lindsay Lewis, and myself. Rachel is also our media director and producer. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Mm-hmm.